Hey there, welcome to SAS Unbound, brought to you by SAS Group. I'm your host, Anna Dana, and this is the show where we chat with inspiring founders and experts to get an inside scoop on how they made their business a success. And today with me is Joe Sinquitz, co-founder of IntelliFluence, an all-in-one marketing platform that enables brands and influencers to connect, collaborate, and reach their goals. They've been successfully bootstrapping for over seven years, and by the amount of features they're shipping lately, I feel like they're not planning to stop anytime soon. So, Joe, it's super exciting to have you here. Welcome. Thank you for having me. It's going to be a fun show. Yeah, I, I uh, certainly hope so. I, um, as I mentioned, I went and uh, listened to a couple of your uh, previous episodes and uh, what you were saying about um, influencer marketing is really exciting. And the fact that you started in 2016, and I was trying to reminisce a little bit about 2016 and uh, the first two kind of influencer heavy uh, platforms that popped up into my mind were, of course, Instagram and YouTube. Mm -hmm. And I thought, okay, how do you, how did you see that trend in 2016? I feel like Instagram especially was just so kind of, um, in, um, embryo kind of, uh, state in this whole marketing <laughs> space. So how did this idea, um, come to you? Well, so it, it happened out of necessity. So at the time, I had been recruited by the Cameron family out of Hollywood. So they're, they're behind small films like Avatar and Terminator, like big budget movies. Okay. One of the brothers of, of James Cameron created a vaping cell phone and it is as ridiculous as it sounds. So their, <laughs> their problem was, Hey, we created this product. We need a CMO. Can you come and help us do this stuff? So let's, let's give it a shot. So I came on board and very quickly we realized because of the nature of the product, we couldn't do AdWords. We, uh, we, we tried to do Facebook ads. I had a lot of connections in the Meta group at the time of stole was Facebook. We got all the way up to the general council and got on the phone with the guy and said, Cheryl says no. So we couldn't do Facebook ads. SEO is going to be a little bit too long of an investment payback for them. So the best thing we could do is just get the hands and products of people that might use it. So the influencers at the time, uh, it was more. YouTube heavy at that point in time, there was some initial Instagram influencers in the vaping space, but it was really tricky. But the problem was we just kept coming across agency after agency. There's no real good platform that listed out like, Hey, I want to hire this person. Here's the rate I'm going to pay. And you know, here, here's the transaction flow. It was just like, give us a giant budget. We're going to take 20% of that. You you're going to, you know, get what you get and have fun. It, it was not a good experience. So, you know, I have a software background and so we're going to build our own thing. We, we had success with influencers. We figured, you know, build it from ground up, small influencer, small brand. And then with success that builds and allows you to approach larger brands and larger influencers. Okay. That's very interesting. You know, uh, small bar budget movies, you know, small budget projects. Yeah. <laughs> Why not? You know, there is not a product like that. So let's build one. Um, okay. Uh, bye. The fact that I've never heard of a vaping cell phone. Um, it didn't do too well, but it, it, it was funny though. Like the, the way I got it to work was if we, when we gave it to the actual influencer says, would you like this thing? They're like, no, this is stupid. So what we did is I created some accounts on Reddit and I, I went into the vaping and the e-cigarette groups. I got them to make fun of the product by giving them the product. 
And they thought they were being funny, but they're doing my job for me. So it went viral. So we went, we got press in the Maximum Playboy and Verge and a bunch of other big publications. So they were able to make sales from people making fun of it. So it, it did its job, but no, there was, there was not a market need for a vaping cell phone. That was, there was a, a product in, uh, in, in search of a, a solution in search of a problem that did not exist. Right. Okay. That's interesting. So, and uh, from that point, how did you decide that, you know, uh, the cell phone obviously is uh, dead, but the platform is going to live? Well, so uh, in my undergrad, I had, uh, I was in technical majors, I had a couple different undergrad degrees. My first job out of college, quote unquote, was developing tax software. So I had a background in this sort of, uh, you know, development. And plus I had a very long digital marketing career since the late nineties. So it was not too much of a stretch to take, uh, the labor that currently exists in my, my agency say, guys, we're going to, we're going to develop uh, a platform. It's going to be very simple, uh, crud system create, you know, we're going to update users. We're going to have a, a methodology to remove them. And we're just going to create a marketplace and see what happens. And it, it wasn't that hard to get, you know, the V zero out, which flopped because we were approaching something no one wanted, but the V like 0.1 worked initially. What we thought would happen is we're just going to create this for, you know, uh, the brands and they're going to pull in their own influencers and, and it'll, it'll work magically. But you know, when we started getting it out in the, in the hands of people, like, will you use this product for free? That's eh, too much work. It's like, okay, okay, okay. We have to make it, you know, easier. They didn't want to have to go recruit their own influencers. And we saw the writing on the wall. Okay. No one is really trying to approach us from a warm contact perspective. No one was trying to go and onboard all the users for them and then package it up. Uh, everyone else was just creating like the VC back guys. We're all doing, um, a scraped database of uh, Instagram contacts. And then, you know, here's an email. You know, click to go DM them. We didn't want to do that. We wanted to make it where this person actually exists. We're going to make it really easy for you to work with them. And so that's why we did it the way we did it. Okay. So you kind of, you just simplified kind of the existing, um, thing, which, which is brilliant. Well, I mean, it, it wasn't, uh, the initial idea. I think I, what I guess I'd like to really put out there is when we tried our very first iteration, we had to respond to the market feedback and the feedback was not like that, like this. And so we responded and made the change appropriate to be what we are now. Okay. So how did you brand it? And, uh, um, what kind of brands are we talking about? Just at least like the first, uh, adopters, what, so yeah, big brands or. Well, a mix really. So we, we approached a variety of digital agencies because that's where we had a lot of initial contacts where we we've sold into these agencies in the past. It's like, okay, we know that you're doing something with YouTube already. Would you consider a product that does this? Well, what do you call it? Oh, let's see. Intelligent influencers. How about Intellifluence? And so that's, that's all that was. And we smashed a couple words together and that was our brand got it trademarked. Um, from the feedback there, that's when we decided if we couldn't get people that we were really friendly with to use it for free, we would have a hard time selling it to people that did not know who we were. And so that, that it's so important to listen to the, uh, the initial feedback you're getting from real users. 
it's real easy to listen to peers that tell you, oh, you're doing a great job. But if they're not the people that will use it day in, day out, that's maybe not the people you want to listen to. All right. Yeah. So uh, what I want to double down a little more on, so about branding, right? So again, c coming back to 2016, right? Mm -hmm. uh, I feel like the only <clears throat> people that were um, pursued as influencers were like this really big guys with big budgets that, that were backed by agencies or they, they had agents or something. So uh, really celebrities, like now yes. it is a little bit easier, right? So how did you uh how did you go to the big guys and how did it uh then go down to maybe micro influencers and uh got adopted by them so we actually did it the inverse methodology so uh, initially you're correct the the most of the space that considered themselves to be influencers were the celebrities which uh in my book i refer to it as aspirational influencers so the people that their followers want to be like them that's why we consider them aspirational we did not approach them initially. We knew that that would be very difficult. So I like to fall back on, it's a, a famous uh, German algebraist who's, who says invert, always invert. And all that means is you see a problem and rather than tackling it in the most logical way, what if you reverse the problem completely? Well, we want to get the biggest influencers, therefore we're gonna get the smallest influencers. So we designed it specifically to onboard very, very small nano and pure influencers. The reason that works is everyone has the capacity to apply influence. You know, I could apply influence even as a small individual towards my family or my friends or the people I work out with at the gym. So everyone has some degree in influence. And by letting them see that there is a path to apply that in a, in a monetized way, it builds steam. And because of the way that we have flywheels that work within our platform, when you get enough small influencers working and doing their job, it attracts bigger ones over time. It, it's never like a, a you know straight linear line. There's little waves of, of influence that, that kind of percolates up like a coffee. Right. So basically, you you just attracted a lot of small guys that started mm -hmm. talking, and since it was um, you know Intellifluence was heard from every other outlet, the big boy, the big guys also came to you. Yeah, it became it became a lot easier. So attracting a, a celebrity now is easier than attracting celebrity six years ago. They had no idea who we were. So, I mean, it's still not even what we try to do. My preference would be to try to get more of a volume of small and medium influencers that, you know, are hungry for the work than one large celebrity. Because the one large celebrity is going to turn down most of the work that people want to do anyways. They have very, very high fees. But how did you, how did you work with it? from a brand standpoint. So did they want smaller influencers? Because now I feel like even Instagram, like uh, the trend is you're small, but you are making a difference, right? Mm -hmm. But back then, again, it was kind of like, if, if you don't have millions of followers, well, you're not going to make much of a difference. It, it was a difficult sell initially. And so what we had to do is break out the math. We had to show how much are you gonna pay for the large? How much are you gonna pay for the small? What's the overall engagement you're getting? Now let's back out the amount of engagement per dollar spent. And we could show that you're better off getting, you know, a thousand influencers with a thousand followers than you are getting one 10 million uh, follower influencer. And so when we're able to break the math out that way. They start to see like, oh, okay. And we start saying, and if that's a flop on one, 
you're, you're protected because you now have another 999 that might have a successful campaign. You can never, it's very hard to predict virality, but when it happens, you can always pile on and double down and make it more, you know, give it more fuel. If you, if you put all your marketing budget behind one very large influencer and it fails, you're done. So it, it, it's a risk mitigation strategy too. So when we, when we sold it from that perspective, they were able to understand. And of course, uh, nothing beats getting real data. So as soon as like, you know, brands would test it's like, okay, I, I made more sales this way. They're more willing to invest more budget. Right. So it, I, I feel like it really, really helped that you were coming, not from just a, you know, solopreneur uh, in a new industry kind of um, road, but uh, you had an agency before. So you had mm -hmm. the network, you had the knowledge, the data, uh, everything that you could share. Yes. And so I was fortunate in a, in a, in a previous venture to have done well enough to where bootstrapping it personally was a, a decision we were able to make. You know, uh, if we had started this just as a, you know, a fresh idea, it would have been very difficult because we poured millions of dollars into building the software. Um, but yes, it, having having the existing network and having the existing team that were able to approach and say, we already know these five people can, you know, do their job. Let's start building. And then as we, you know, had some success, added team members to the team and, and grew it a little bit. We're still very small for, for what we are able to do. Um, I think we're we're eight people, and I think our closest competitors maybe five hundred. So you know, there's it's a it's a much smaller team capable of doing the same amount of work. Okay, let's get back to what you just said about pouring millions into building the platform, right? And um, what, how did it look like in the very beginning? Like, what were you able to go to the market with, and uh, with what kind of product, what kind of features did you make your first sale? Oh man. So I think the very first sales, I, I want to say they did it just because they wanted to support us more than any product feature that we had. So initially, uh, I think like two or three months after the initial flop, we, we started selling a little bit. We launched on product hunt. I want to say in September or October of 2016. So I thought it was like the real first noise that we made. Um, so like, cause we started this in July of 2016 and like by, by September or October, 2016, we had enough features to go. And at that point it was really a subscription. You could uh, create a real pseudo campaign, pull some people in and, and ask them to do work. Um, over time it evolves so much because we're really in tune with our support where a lot of the features that we develop are because brands or influencers are asking us to do it. That, that's, and that's such a simple formula, but it works like listening to your users. So we recognize like, oh man, there's so much that we need to do to make it easier for a transaction to take place. Um, fraud was a thing, you know, when people like, oh, just PayPal me. We had to create our own internal payments uh, platform just to make it easy so that brands could prove that they're good for the money, but influencers wouldn't get it until the transactions completed at the very end. Doing that, cut out fraud a lot. And so that was, that was something that it came to us because of the support tickets that we were getting. We did not launch with that. We didn't launch with any sort of payments set up because that's, that's a very complex and noodly sort of problem. And it took a, like a year and a half to really, to really launch. Right. Oh, that's actually a very interesting thing. Uh, you, you don't think about fraud uh, on, on social media uh, unless you, you kind of stumble upon it, but mm -hmm. 
uh, yeah, I just realized that it's such a huge thing on social media. Like every time you're approached by somebody who's trying to teach you to uh, make $10 million in the oh, next yeah. 10 days or constantly. <laughs> so how do you deal with that? Well, I mean, we have um, a pretty active uh, community. So everyone has the capacity of like, if, if, if I'm an influencer in the platform and I see this weird brand that's, that just feels shady, I could flag it. And someone on our admin team gets involved to take a look at the situation. The same thing with a brand encountering an influencer that appears fake, they could flag it. So having this sort of community moderation that takes place, we're able to get rid of bad actors pretty quickly. But also when it comes to like the, uh, I promise I'll make you billion dollars next week while sitting in your underwear on the couch, not going to happen. But the way we get around a lot of that is by forcing some sort of concrete monetization where we say, you know, if, if you're a brand, you want to work with influencers, you have to be able to promise a certain degree of cash you're going to give them to do something, a review or an actual product with product value. And, but just by listing that out, got rid of a lot of scammers because they weren't willing to pay even $5. They were like, oh, I'm not gonna pay them the $5. They should do it on a commission. Most people did not want to do commission. We may uh, inject affiliates back in, in the mix later now that we have better controls, but in the early days, it was not pretty seeing some of the stuff that came through. So we, we made that conscious decision to make it difficult for them to thrive with us. Looking for new ways to find customers for your SaaS business? Consider adding an affiliate or customer referral program. Rewardful is the easiest affiliate tracking platform to set up, manage, and scale for SaaS companies. Log your customer acquisition cost and only pay based on results. Integrate Rewardful with your Stripe or Paddle account and set up your affiliate campaigns in minutes. Rewardful automatically tracks referrals, calculates commissions, handles upgrades and downgrades all seamlessly in the background, whether you sell one-off purchases or recurring subscriptions. Companies like Podia, Copy.ai, Barometrics, Synthesia, and many, many more are already using Rewardful to add that sweet, sweet MRR to their businesses. Sign up now at Rewardful.com for a free 14-day trial and turn your biggest fans into your best marketers. All right, that's very interesting. And uh, you were saying that uh, you added, and uh, again, this is such a simple uh, thing, but uh, every founder says that. So I guess it's not said uh, enough. Uh, every feature that comes comes from a need of a customer or better yet, a hundred customers. So uh, was there, any feature that you regretted doing or maybe that you had to uh, get rid of at the end? Hmm. I'm sure there is. Uh, I'm certain there is. That usually it'd probably be a smaller feature. It'd probably be something where we said, hey, let's let's make this change so the transaction flow is, is smoother, we're like where we have a thesis for something, but then it turns out it, it breaks uh, a process, then we'll remove it. Um, there's nothing major, major, uh, outside of the very initial flop where we thought that brands would go and um, onboard their own influencers for us, uh, that we got rid of because no one wanted to do it. And they thought we were, we wanted to charge them for the, <laughs> for the, for the benefit of uh, them doing the job for us. Uh, right. So that didn't work initially. 
there's no other major feature though. Like most of what we do is cumulative development where we're, we're adding little bits and pieces that sort of add up over time. Sometimes we'll launch something really big uh, and we'll have to train the users a little bit about a major change that we've made. But thankfully we've not had to roll back anything significant. Fingers are crossed. Okay. <laughs> Fingers crossed. You, know, you never know. Like we, we have stuff right. on the roadmap. People may say like, I don't like this and we'll change it. True. Okay. And was there um, a feature that was also uh, asked by uh, a customer that made a huge difference for you, for the business? Yes. Uh, so I want to say it was maybe six months after uh, we launched payments where we were kind of forcing uh, brands to prove that they had the money up front, where one of the digital agencies that we were working with, they, they didn't like that too much of their money was sitting in a pitch status. So we, they would pitch it, but influencers might not respond right away and like, hey, this is killing us. You know, could you make it so that it expires, it comes back? So we developed a, like a waterfall method where they could pitch, but they could set an expiration, like let's say three days where if the influencer doesn't get back. You lost the opportunity to do this. Cash goes back to the brand. They can just go down to the next person in line as in a waterfall methodology. So that was one obvious thing that we thought only one person wanted, but it turned out most of them wanted. They just didn't know how to ask about it. Okay. That's very interesting. It, it, it got me thinking about like Kickstarter campaign or something, you know, when it expires and then, then it just uh, goes to ashes. Um, but uh, that's, uh, that's super interesting. So uh, let's talk about going to market. Like, uh, obviously, like, like you said, the first uh, customers came from your network. So we just wanted to support you guys. But obviously, you reached a fairly great success. Like uh, when I googled influencer marketing, IntelliFluence was kind of everywhere. So um, how did you do that? What was I'm your... a spammer. <laughs> I you want the answer. Aren't no, we all? So, no, it really, the, it's um, my, my personal philosophy on this is like building a brick every single day with the idea of eventually building, you know, a city. And it's going to take a very long time. So every single day we're trying to, how do we get listed in this article? How do we approach this marketplace of reviews? every single day. And so you're getting one or two every day over time, you, you look like you're everywhere. Initially, yes, um, I'm very heavy LinkedIn user. So we were and that's which is how you and I actually connected. So you're a heavy user as well, apparently. So we, we were doing outreach there. Uh, we, we knew that we were going to do something with product hunt, we tried to leverage that product hunt community with the medium community. Once we had a little success with that, we were approached by AppSumo. And that was a, something that really kicked things up a notch. We did a, a lifetime deal with AppSumo, which was good, but what was really better was AppSumo approached us later again and said, well, what if we do a, uh, like a, like a free forever sort of deal where they don't have to pay for it? Like, okay, that, now it's interesting. And it becomes just part of our overall onboarding flow now where we have the ability to sign up, you know, a hundred or 200 tiny brands every single month like a very low obligation plan where maybe they play with it, maybe they don't, but because we have really good um, internal processes to try to get people to use our, our platform, we're just, we're always trying to like upsell them into 
the the parts of the the platform that are going to give them the most uh, you know the best ROI. So we use all these little tiny flywheels all over the place. And as you play search around, we have our influencers trying to promote us too. And that's the beauty of having a, a warm contact only you know system is. You know, you have over a couple hundred thousand people and we say, you know, have them go to your profile and sign up through your profile so they can hire you. Um, they do your marketing for you. We were able to get rid of most of our external marketing vendors a couple of years ago and just use our own influencers. Okay. And that's through affiliates. Uh, no, it, it's just, it's just through our own platform. So we'll hire our own influencers to go and tweet about us, put us on LinkedIn, Facebook. YouTube, whatever. Okay. All right. Was there any, um, any marketing channel that you had to abandon that you overestimated and then, you know, realize that this is definitely not for you? Uh, mm, you know, everything kind of comes in waves, right? So like LinkedIn works great, but there's, there's drawbacks to it. Um, doing, okay, here, here's one doing outbound email B2B was not as fun as I thought it was going to be. We do, we have success reaching out to the influencers on outbound email, but reaching out to the actual brands outbound email, we were just another email they got. And they're just, it's so overwhelming. Like how many different appointment setting emails can a person get in the same day? It's just, it's noise. And so it's just delete, 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 delete. So we abandoned that because the return wasn't there, but we just shift it into other, other areas. So it's, I don't worry about it too much. We can always come back to outbound email and we probably will, but that would be the channel that didn't turn out the way that I thought it was going to. Okay. So what's the busiest social media platform busiest. right now? Yeah. For the influencers. <sighs> Blogs. People don't think about it, but like, oh, um, wow. you'll, well, it has the greatest return. Like there's still such a high demand for people to write about you in, in a long format way that uh, blogs can be overlooked. But I'd say that's a huge volume for us. Um, we didn't try to do it, but like, so we have over 17,000 bloggers in the network, which makes us, I guess, like probably the largest of the, like the if, if people wanted to go buy links, some of them kind of use us for that, for that, uh, that use case. The other one, um, it will vary. Sometimes it'll be Instagram. Sometimes it'll be TikTok. And then it'll kind of go back and forth depending upon which brands are running what campaigns. And also what, what drives that too is sometimes the networks will try to create their own creator databases and their own creator uh, ecosystems. And, you know, we'll see like a drop on our end while those ecosystems start up. And then the networks abandon it like every single time. Like, so when Facebook pulled back, like, you know what, this is too much work. Then we saw people come back to us for Facebook and Instagram. So TikTok went down a little bit while TikTok's grown a little bit. We'll probably have them come back again. So it's, you know, ebb and flow. Okay. The, be the beauty of supporting a bunch of different social networks is we don't have to worry too much about being tied to one. Right. Okay. Uh, diversification is everything, right? Yes. Yes, it is. <laughs> uh, okay. So let's get back a little bit to the day-to-day -day operation, to the small team, to bootstrapping, because that that's super interesting. Like you said, you're diversified, you have a ton of brands and a ton of um, influencers you're working with. Uh, and it's still just eight people uh, bootstrapping for seven years. So what is the 
culture like? How do you build a culture within the company that's, you know, uh, support supporting each other in, say, administering all these day-to-day operations, flagging uh, scams and so on? I'd say what, what helped the most is that we were able to start with people that we'd already worked with in the past. So we were able to bring forward, like, we we knew and trusted each other as a team initially. That helped a lot. Beyond that, we have a couple philosophies within the company, and that is uh, there's three pillars to Intellifloats. Every decision has to take into account the brand, the influencer, and us, the company. No decision could be weighted towards one and not the other two in consideration. And so long as everyone you know, sort of adheres to that when they make a decision, we'll back them up. So if a, you know if, if a designer goes and wants to you know try to create a design, and they're they're accounting for yes this is going to get more brand signups, but it's only going to get the brand signups that are going to work well for the influencers. You know, it's one of those things where we're all supportive of that solution. But we're we almost everyone in the company has had to do some degree of support. Uh, so we're not too far removed from whatever is happening. Like I still get support tickets sent to me. Um, I'm never going to be able to get away from that, I don't think. So we're always very support driven and just having that in our DNA of we want to legitimately try to solve the problem and make life better for people um, that are coming and using our platform. So long as we don't get away from that, we'll probably do okay. We may not be a, you know, a decacorn company in $10 billion, but we'll thrive. And and that, and that's good enough, you know, because we don't have to you know, obey the, the masters, so to speak. Right. So this is a lifestyle kind of business. We're building a lifestyle. Uh, yes and no. And so um, the reason I say yes and no is uh, when VCs say, oh, it's a lifestyle business, they're usually saying it with some degree of cond- uh, condescension of, oh, it's not going to scale to be a billion. It could. But, you know, when I say, when, when, when you say lifestyle, my interpretation of it is, you know, we have decided we're calm. We're going to make right. decisions for the long term, not the short term. So that that's kind of how we define lifestyle is we're going to make the right decision for us two years from now versus the, the, the lifestyle of a financier that wants to get their next quarterly return. Okay. All right. So it's just a different lifestyle. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah, it totally is. Like I, I like, I like the calm methodology. Like there's been a lot being written on that and, and right. that really uh, hits my heart. Okay. Awesome. Sounds good. So, uh, about bootstrapping, right. Uh, and, uh, I want to ask if there are any rules to your bootstrapping journey, like, I don't know, don't hire new people. If you, uh, if you're short, short on cash or, or oh, something yeah. like that, are there, <laughs> yeah. Are there some rules that, you know, just keep you, uh, successful in bootstrapping? I mean, recognize that you're, you're always going to be making a trade-off like, uh, Whenever, when you're constantly resource constrained, you're always going to be having to make a choice. And so what I try to do, and it, 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 to the best of my ability, I make lists. And so I'll list everything that we could possibly do. And then I try to segment that list, things that are going to increase revenue, things that are going to decrease cost, and things that I can't easily quantify. From there, I try to figure out what's the investment cost for each one? What's the return that we think it's going to be? how much labor and time is going to take. And then we try to rank that and then just try to tackle the top items. And so that that's kind of like the bootstrapping methodology is like, 
we only have so much time and resource, therefore let's try to have the most effect that we possibly can with what we currently have. Understanding full well, there's a, there's a big roadmap, it could take time and we'll just, uh, that's the trade-off that we took. And that, that's actually the reason why the people would go VC is like, you see a big list, you know that you could tackle it all if you throw an extra hundred people at it, but if things don't go perfect, you're maybe firing 90 of them. And that's, you know, I've had to do that before. I don't enjoy doing it. So I chose not to. Okay. All right. Uh, so, <clears throat> sorry. <clears throat> sorry about my voice. <clears throat> it's still cracking. Right. Recovering from COVID. Oh. Uh, but, <laughs> hey, uh, it's all good. I'm kind of just late for the party. Um, so, yeah. And um, another thing that uh, I wanted to ask is... Um, trends and AI and the whole chat GPT thing, uh, the whole craze about uh, artificial intelligence. And I feel like a lot of um, a lot of startups, especially SaaS, they are trying to uh, incorporate it somehow. What about you? How do you um, how do you answer to this trends or any other? Sure. So uh, I, I recognize that sometimes trends are a flash in the pan. And so I tend to be a little slow in adopting it just for the sake of adopting it. If there's an actual business need for it, absolutely pull it in and, and digest and use. As it pertains to AI, um, I take a, I was actually on a different interview about this uh, last week. It's not live yet. Um, we do have some background in, in developing machine learning at our previous venture. We developed a, a noise distortion rotation as a methodology to solve captchas in the early days of the internet. So we had to teach machines how to recognize letters so it could read, so it could it, you could solve captchas. So we actually have some background in this world. From that, a lot of what is being claimed to be AI is not AI. It is a glorified scraper with a million if statements. And you know that's just me being a, a, a technical cynic. Um, how, how would we use something like a, a chat GPT? Probably not chat GPT, but there is a, there are actually some models on open AI that are interesting to me where we're considering using it for ideation, where we might pull it into the, the initial phase of, uh, an accepted pitch to say, okay, the brand influencer agreed to do this. This is what the brand's asking for. And then open up a small conversation with the influencer saying, if you're struggling for ideas, Here's some things that we came up with and basically using some of the phrases to sort of piece together, consider uh, doing something along these lines. I don't like the current outputs that are created by ChatGPT and others uh, because it's it's a little simplistic and sometimes it's, it's, it's very inaccurate. So I'd rather give them a, a rough ideation idea of where they could start the process, maybe save a little bit of time and then let the influencer do their work. So there's value there. Um, I don't think the value is near as much as what people are selling it to be. Like uh, say like another trend, uh, a year before, or even two years before, I had multiple uh, investment groups and uh, operators reach out and say, you have to do everything on the blockchain or you're gonna fail. And I said, I'm a technologist, I'm looking at this, not a chance. Like it doesn't solve any problem that I have. Uh, once again, I just got out of another company that was trying to provide a solution to a problem that didn't exist. This problem that you're trying to solve, there is no problem. So by avoiding that, we saved a lot of time by not just jumping on and doing blockchain enabled influencer smart contracts. Didn't need to happen. We already have 
a database that does exactly what we needed to do. Okay. All right. That's interesting. I, I just, uh, I saw this one um, project and for the love of God, I cannot remember the name of it, but it's, it basically just allows you to create like a person that looks like a person that, you know, you could basically just, I don't know, tell them how to stand and wear and like what kind of brand oh, sure. to wear and stuff like that. So do you think it, it has, it, it is going to have some influence on, the, on influencer marketing and yes. brands and, and advertisement? Yeah, yeah, they will. And so I'm, I, I know that there, there are services like this person does not exist and whatnot for creating um, avatars that don't exist. And so yeah. I know what you're referring to in terms of like creating the artificial uh, personalities. They're still run by humans in the background. So humans are still saying like, okay, we're going to apply this dress to model X, which is five foot eight in height. Uh, this is the skin tone of this particular influencer. Here's the color match that's going to go best with the, with the skirt. And then we're going to uh, use this sort of phrase combination. So I know that stuff is happening and I know more of that will get automated. But after a point in time, though, there's going to be fatigue. And that fatigue is going to come from uh, audiences are like, why am I following this bot? Unless the bot's providing actual value, um, it's just a novelty at this point. There, there could come a, a point in the future, I won't discount that, that, you know, the the artificial influencer is providing more value than human influencers, but we're not there. And so I'm certainly not going to throw investment money. Like someone will, and I know someone has, and we'll, we'll see what happens with it. But for now, I'm not too concerned. Okay. All right. So just a couple of questions. Uh, first one, this is something that I ask absolutely everybody. Was the biggest win and the biggest failure so far? for IntelliFluence mm. or maybe use a founder if you want to uh, dive there. Uh, a founder in this particular company or previous companies or? Uh, let's, let's, uh, let's keep it IntelliFluence only. Okay. <laughs> Boy, um, the, the biggest win uh, was probably saying yes to doing something with AppSumo because that really did launch us fairly well. The biggest loss might have said been saying yes to AppSumo. And the, the, re the reason I'd say that's the same thing is um, it locked us to the low side of the market for a period of time where, you know, it was very, it was hard to sell towards enterprise brands because we were very much into the solo entrepreneurs that were using the system at the time. So it created a uh, kind of a gap in, in terms of like the user type. So it took a little while for us to build up to the point where we're able to satisfy the enterprise brands because we finally had the the level of, of history to do so. So getting getting going, AppSumo was great. Continuing on, uh, it it may have shifted our timeline a little bit. And so I, it wasn't a big failure though. Like big failure would be more along the lines of um, we launched with the product that no one wanted. And so we had to pivot. Uh, maybe that's right. probably better. Looking back, would you would you do it again? Going with well, I don't know. I uh, oh, actually, um, I'd probably do different terms. Like now, now that I know, like some of the things, like I'd probably ask for different terms. I'd probably structure what we gave a little differently. I'd probably put a little bit more guardrails on how we did it, um, just knowing like how the abuse would take place. Um, but overall, it's 
it's been more of a net positive than a negative. So probably, um, what I, what I do in telephones over again, probably, but I, you know, having the hindsight of six and a half years is, you know, something no one ends up getting. So it, I, it would be hard for me to launch with what I have today. I, if, if I knew back then what I know now, we might be an entirely different platform because we probably launched something very different and we'd be responding to a different timeline of support tickets. So maybe we come up with something completely different. Who knows? Right. Okay. And, uh, and the last one is kind of a, a bonus question, uh, getting back to other trends or, or uh, the, the industry in use. So what kind of SaaS related uh, headline would you be expecting to pop up this year? I think it's going to be related to fintech, um, just because of all the the banking uh, turmoil that's currently existing now. I think a, a, a SaaS headline that pops up will be something along the line of "Company X makes it easy for every business to uh, secure their deposits worldwide, no hassle." Something like that. Because uh, I think there's going to be a, a greater desire. Um, for companies that are scared about putting all their money in one bank. Uh, just like uh, as we're recording this, it looks like Credit Suisse is collapsing. So that's a gigantic, you know, entity. The, who knows what the fallout of that's going to be? Yeah. Okay. Well, that's, that's a new, everyone uh, was talking, because uh, I've asked this question a couple more times before everyone would be talking about AI, but I guess we were responding to like the recent news and Obviously, that's super important. I guess a lot more, you know, down to earth and uh, just uh, important for the whole industry. But uh, yeah, thank you for yeah, today. Uh, it is today, yeah, at least. <laughs> uh, okay, well, thank you, Joe. It's it's been awesome talking with you, and I think Intellifluence is doing an incredible job. So uh, thanks for telling your story and all the best with it. Thank you very much, Anna. Thank you. That was yet another awesome conversation on SaaS Unbound. We're always looking for new guests to share their experiences. We mostly talk with bootstrapped SaaS founders, and if you're one, reach out to me directly at anna at saas.group or find me on LinkedIn. If you're not bootstrapped or even not SaaS but have a great story to tell, we want to hear from you too. And obviously, SaaS Unbound wouldn't be possible without the SaaS Group, a founder-friendly private equity company that buys awesome businesses that people love to take them to even greater success. If you're thinking about selling your company or just exploring your options, feel free to visit saas.group, fill in the form, and expect a response in under 24 hours.